Hi and welcome to Boom It's on the Blockchain. And today we have a special guest. It is Larry Sharp. How are you, Larry? I am doing great. Boom. I am on the blockchain. I love it. It's all good. <laughs> it's our 53rd show now, believe it or not, Larry. So nice. we've, had, we've had 52 people not as important as you, but now we're starting to up the ante, you know? Well, I always hear that 53 is when it starts to get good. So now we're yeah, set. Yeah, we, we, ha now we had set. Adam Kokesh on the second one, but we never got many people from listening to that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm better looking is the issue. That's the issue. Exactly. He might argue with that as well. But yeah, I'm a good friend <laughs> of Adam's as well. So, so just to kick things off, Larry, if you can just give a bit of background about yourself and what you're currently doing. Now, the, the interesting thing, I hope the interesting piece is I'm running for governor of New York yet again, trying to make actual changes in the state and across the country. The United States right now is in a very tough spot, and we are more divided than we've ever been. And the way that we, in any situation, also in any situation, whether you're um, business partners, spouses, family members, two people who don't want to talk, who are fighting, who don't want to talk. What do you do? How do you get around that, right? You and your business partner, you and your spouse, you and your cousin, brother, sister, mom. You bring someone else in, a third party, to have a conversation, try to fix some things, to find some common ground. It's what you do. Yeah, that's what we need to do here in America. We've got to have a third party. And I'm trying to make that happen here. And I'm trying to make a party. I'm going to make the Libertarian Party. Why? Because the Libertarian Party says that you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want to be. Just don't force your views on others. And that's what we're trying to achieve. It's the only way to be a bridge builder, a way to have conversations and to create actual policies. If you see right now in New York State and across the entire country, everyone's campaign isn't, let me show you how I'll fix things. Everyone's campaign is, I will save you from the other evil person. So if you're on the left, I'll save you from the evil Trump. If you're on the right, I will save you from the evil Biden. But either way, I will save you from the evil person. So vote for me and I'll save you. So a victory now is not my life becoming better, but a victory now is I hurt the other. It's not good. And I'm trying to make some changes in, in my state specifically because my state is the battleground state when it comes to government overreach. Whatever happens in New York is going to be, is what's going to happen all over the place. So let's stop it in New York. This is the front line. We stop it here. We stop it everywhere. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think for people, you know, I was involved in the Libertarian Party working with Adam Kokesh developing the AmeriCoin policy when he was running for 2020 with president, uh, for president. You were running for the Libertarian Party at that point as well. But just give a little bit of, you know, background to the difficulties the Libertarian Party faces. And it's not just Libertarian Party. It's any yep. third party in America to try and get on the ballot and trying to get their message out there. Well, if you could imagine, say, two large companies like Pepsi and Coca-Cola, and they get to decide what sodas get to be in a grocery store. That's basically where we are right now, right? If Pepsi and Coke get to decide what soda goes in the grocery store, you know what? Your local soda is not going in the grocery store, right? They're going to only put their own in the grocery store. That's what's happening right now uh, across the country. The, the ability to just get on the ballot. And for those who don't understand what that means, to have your name listed when you go to vote, just to have it listed, is so insanely difficult that third parties had to not be able to do it. When it came to in uh, the 2022, um, sorry, the 2020 presidential election, 
where every party was trying to get on the ballot in all 50 states. It was so difficult. There was only one party outside the top two that was able to get on the ballot in all 50 states. And it was the Libertarian Party. And we barely made it. Every other party that tried couldn't do all 50. Greens couldn't do it. Socialists couldn't do it. Constitution couldn't do it. Veterans Party couldn't do it, right? The American Solidarity Party couldn't do it. None of them. There are other parties in America. Most of you never heard of them because they can't be on the ballot. They just, they're not there. So you can't see them. So you might go, but Larry, why does it matter? How can I make change if you can't vote for me? And what is the harm? And it's the biggest issue. What's the harm in me being on a ballot as a third party? There's none. If you don't want to vote for me, you just don't vote for me, right? Just because I'm better than you have to vote for me. Literally, I know in 2018, I ran and millions of New Yorkers chose to not vote for me. So I know it can happen. I watched it happen personally in 2018. So there's no harm in it, but they still stop us. They literally sue, they sue us. This year in New York State, to show you how difficult it was, it was in the past in 2018 that it was, you had to get 15,000 signatures across New York State in several weeks during the summer. While that was challenging, it wasn't impossible, right? 15,000 signatures in a state of 18 million people is not crazy. And it was during the summer, so you can go to fairs and such and meet people. So it was possible. It was challenging, but it was possible. Some individual crazy person could not do it. But if you had a, some people and some money, you could do it. I thought it was fair. Most people did. And most parties were eight that were real parties were able to get on the ballot. And then if once you got 15,000 signatures to get on the ballot, if you were able to get 50,000 votes in a governor's race, it had to be governor's race. That was the rule in New York State. Then you were able to become what they call party status. It means you were automatically on the ballot for local elections or whatever. And you could begin to build your party out. That, while that was challenging, was at least fair, doable. It could be done. So they decided this year, you know what? No, I'm sorry, year after. I apologize. So I do that in 2018. I get the 100,000, I get the, the signatures and 100,000 votes, only 50,000, I got 100,000. And now we have uh, party access. A year later, they go, oh, yeah, no, you don't have it anymore. What? They changed the rules. And they said it was fine. We, of course, sued them and said, no, you, you can't just change the rules. I'm supposed to get it for four years. And their response was, I'm not joking. Well, no, there's, there's no, we didn't say it was for four years. So how long did I get it for? For a month? What, what, uh, how, how, how was that fair? And my, my argument was this. Alistair, what, what would happen if I had a garage and I told you, hey, you can, if you want to, rent out uh, my garage for a hundred bucks. And you go, great, I love that. I'm gonna rent half of your garage out for a hundred bucks. You give me a hundred bucks and you put your stuff in my garage. I don't tell you it's per month. I just go hundred bucks. You, you assume it's hundred bucks. So you give me hundred bucks every month. I let you use half my garage. Awesome. But I never said it was a month. Now your friend comes to you and says, Hey, I see you're renting out half of Larry's garage. You think I can do it too? You go, yeah, just ask him. She says, how much? You go hundred bucks. She goes, great. She comes to me. How much? I say hundred bucks. She gives me hundred bucks. She puts her stuff in. Then two weeks later, I go, Oh, by the way, it's not hundred bucks. Now it's 300 bucks and it's 300 bucks every two weeks. So give me 300 bucks right now, or I'm going to put your stuff out in the street. No one thinks that's okay. Now, the argument I could say is, look, I never said it's per month. Everybody knows it's per month. It is an implied contract that I may change the rules on my rental if I want to, but I got to give you the rest of the month. I can't kick you out in the middle of the month when I took your 100 bucks. I took your money. I got to give you the month. After that, we can make different rules. But when it comes to this, they change their minds. What New York State did was say, oh, two years after 
you got it. We're now going to go from 15,000 signatures to 45,000 signatures. 45,000 signatures. And they moved the time to where in New York State, there's still snowstorms. Now, you might go, Larry, is 45,000 signatures that much? In, in a state of 18 million, the number isn't the issue. It's the time to get 45,000 signatures in six weeks. When you take away time of setting up and preparing everything, it's about 2,000 signatures per day. A great signature gatherer will get you 100. A great one will get you 100. The average maybe gets you 25 to 50. I got to get 40 to 60 people to work for five weeks, 10 hours a day. Who the hell can do that? And if you're going to spend the money on it, now I got to drop 20 bucks an hour for each person. 40 to 50 people over a week? That's that's $400,000 I have to have. Who has that? Nobody does. How do I know that to be true? Nobody made it this year. Not me, not a sitting congressman, not a multimillionaire worth about $50 million. None of us could make it. None of us. This is, They've made it impossible. So now no one getting the ballot. Well, now they're arguing, of course, is, well, Larry changed the law. How can I change the law when you won't let me on the ballot so people can vote for me so I can gain power in the assembly so I can change the law? The executive branch and legislation branch have shut me down. So I go to the judiciary branch and they tell me no. Well, I have no option now. So now I'm screwed. It's a very tough spot to be in. And that's what happened to us this year. But I'm still suing and I'm still running a writing campaign anyway. I don't know, because I'm stupid maybe or stubborn or both. Either way, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you think it's a good comment in from John Barron there just now saying, I drive a cab in the upstate New York and it's sad but invigorating that I'm seeing so many write-in candidates from local to governor now that it's almost impossible for anyone that's not part of the duopoly. Yes, that's the point, right? Now we're all desperately doing write-ins, making everything work harder, making everything tougher when all you have to do is just let us on the ballot. I mean, the, at its core, right? At its core, I say one important thing for any judge, which makes my New York State judges, it's embarrassing for New York State judges that they did this. They should be ashamed of themselves. And I hope I hope some of them are watching. If you're watching, you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, I can't say it in court because you'll, you'll lock me up for contempt. But outside of court, I can say how embarrassing you are. You, you embarrass me. That's how bad you are, judges. The fact that we know already, and to be clear, this is documented data. I poll at about 6% across the state. Five and a half to six percent is what I'm polling right now. And I'm not in the ballot, which means in theory, 6% of 6 million voters, about 6 million New Yorkers vote, is over 300,000 New Yorkers. So 300,000 New Yorkers have said they want to vote for me. Now, that's talk. Maybe they don't. But I've read in 2018, 100,000 physically did vote for me. So somewhere between 100,000 and 300,000 New Yorkers want to vote for me. And again, data, this is demonstrable. Every two years, at least a quarter million New Yorkers vote for candidates, not the two major parties. So this quarter million number is not an unrisk number. It's a documented number. So you are literally taking away the rights of, what, of 250,000 New Yorkers, a quarter million New Yorkers, when you don't put us on the ballot. And if you put us on the ballot, who are you hurting? No one. Take us off the ballot, you hurt a quarter million New Yorkers. Why am we not in the ballot? Because power. Because the two-party system does, decides what it wants to decide, and we have no rights. Yeah, exactly. It's a, the thing with a two-party system is, is the duopoly, as John said, 
The problem is it's, you know, it, it's like one away from a dictatorship. Correct. It, it's it, And people think, well, that's, you know, we're not like Russia. But if you look at what Russia's doing in Ukraine yesterday, when they were getting their vote, they were essentially sending around the military. <laughs> yes. <laughs> video of it. The guys are with machine guns behind. Do you want to yes. vote for us? It's like, what, what <laughs> choice? <laughs> I mean, well, no, you, you, but you brought up in New York State, it actually is a one-party system. Right. In New York, not every state's the same, right? Some states are more purple than others. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. New York State is a deep blue state. And literally, people may not know this, a Republican has not won any statewide office in 20 years. Nothing. Not governor, not senator, not attorney general, nothing in 20 years. And the state's getting bluer, not redder. The Republicans cannot win. The recent poll just came out. The Republicans behind by 17 points. They're, they're done. They're not going to win. It's impossible. The state will go gold before it will go red. But sadly, Republicans keep lying and saying this is the year so they can grift and steal money while Democrats run a one-party democracy. In New York State, we are a single-party democracy, which means we're not a democracy. That's kind of how that works. You can't have a democracy with one party. Yeah. So it's and especially if people are watching here from over in Europe and things like that, where a place like Germany, yep. you know, they make the news that there's like maybe eight or nine parties you can choose from. Yep. And then Absolutely. because they also creates coalitions systems and they do coalitions yes. and it still works quite well. Even in Scotland, we've got the new, well, the Scottish government, you know, it's still controlled by England where the, the way the system works. But ultimately, if you think the Scottish government uh, they've got a first-past-the-post system for basically two-thirds of, say, the MPs or two-thirds of the, you know, Congress. But then there's a third made from proportional representation. So that means every party has some, you've got somebody in government. Now, if you're the Green Party and you've only got three seats or you've got 10 seats or eight seats, but suddenly, now people might not be agreeing that the Green agenda is now becoming important because they're wanting to shut down uh, oil rigs when Russia's pumping everyone's gas, whatever you go to that. But it doesn't change the fact that they're now involved in pushing their policies in. Correct. And then the Scottish National Party has to go along with some of the green ideas. You know, whether you like it or not, it's good because it means that there's a percentage of the Green Party in Scotland has a voice in the country. And a percentage and of the look, Green Party in the UK has a small voice in the country. Correct. Whereby in America, in America. You, the yeah. Green Party is nowhere. The Green Party is a smaller libertarian party. They've got no seats. There's a lot of people, especially places like California, who would vote green because that's the way they actually think. Yes. And they believe they're green. They, you know, they, 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 you, you can argue that the Democrat Party are green, but really, are they green? You know, it's just no. like, no, no, it's just like they're not because that's not their main policies. It's just like, you know, we'll give you a couple of breadcrumbs. We'll talk about this. We don't really want to go green because otherwise they'd give us all backup battery storage and we take us all off the grid. You know, now, so. the reality of it is that they're, both the, the Democrats and Republicans are corporatist parties. That's what they are. They're corporatist parties. They care about the corporations, all they care about. Both of them do. They pretend like they don't, but they absolutely do. And look, I don't agree with the Greens either. Clearly, I don't, or, or else I'd be a Green Party member. But they have a right to be part of the conversation, exactly. right? They have a right. Just like I have a right to be part of the conversation. And how can we know if America wants to go green if we don't hear the Green Party? Now, I believe that my views are correct. I think the Libertarian Party is the right party and has the right views. That's what I believe clearly. So I am happy 
for me to be in the in the idea in in the arena of ideas because I think I'll win. And I think Greens probably believe they'll win. They won't, but that's fine. They believe they'll win and they should be able to get in that arena too, like everybody else. And if we all get in the arena of, of ideas, then it's fair and I think I'll win. Yeah, especially when you start thinking in local government terms, because mm-hmm. that's where parties and people can get in. You know, it's it's not about, oh, everyone says, well, I don't want like four greed and 11 libertarians in Congress, things like that. But it doesn't work like that. It's exactly what you're saying is, you know, you can get people on the ballots, local government, they'll be yep. pushing an issue that's relevant to your own community, and you yep. agree with that issue. So there's a nuclear power plant north of here in between uh, San Diego and L.A., and if you research it, it's full. It's basically, there's there's nuclear waste leaking out this place. You know, anyone wow. who lives next to this place, your, your life expectancy is about 10 years less than anyone else. So you wow. can still get a good deal there. And it's, there's nowhere for the nuclear waste to go. So people are wanting to close down this nuclear right. power plant. And I believe in nuclear energy. It's just the way they're creating nuclear power plants now compared to the way yes. they built them back in the 60s is two different things. 100%. So it's not like we shouldn't go for nuclear energy. It's just that some of the old plants, we should switch this stuff down. But again, well, you, well, you if you're up the green piece person here. there, you know, why would the Green Party not come? And that's the sort of area where if a local... A constituent ran there for green, they could get on the local council and they could really start to push this agenda for that. And that's where people don't realize, I think, in America compared to places like the UK, whereby, yeah, you're not going to see the Green Party running the country, but you're going to see local green councillors and they're going to deal yes. with local issues that mean yes. something for them. And you might not vote green every time, but this issue might be so important to you that for this election, I want to vote for this councillor and I'm happy they're going to represent me in a local level. And they might only have a small voice in the local council, but at least it's a voice. But well, if there's two can... parts I think you brought up here that are important. And the first one is some issues are going to be tight, right, in voting. And in those tight issues, the smaller parties will have some say, because imagine if, you know, it's, it's a, a three or four person gap in the vote. That's it. And there's four Green Party members or four Libertarians. All of a sudden, we're the swing vote, and we now will have say on anything that's tight, which is a good thing. But the second part, which I think is more important what you said, if people are doing things locally, we can now see what works locally. And maybe in a local area like this, the Green guy's right. So maybe we should follow that, that, that idea because they showed us that here locally, he was right. So let's do that now at a statewide level or a national level because locally someone has showed us that they're correct. So I think even though I might go, I don't like this green guy, but if he's right on this, I'll shut up and I'll say, you know what? He showed me that he's right on this one. Let's follow him this time. And then maybe they'll follow Libertarian next time or whatever. I think the local uh, piece you brought up is critical for us to test out what works and what doesn't work, but something else. The specific arena that that person's in, in this case, this older um, nuclear power plant. Well, if I'm looking for older power plants throughout the country, this may now be my example. How do I fix things? Well, this guy found an answer. Let's do that. I think all of that. I, yes, yes, and yes to everything you said. Yeah, and I think it's and it's for you know people come to vote as well. It's as you see, you're not voting because of Biden's policies. You're voting because you know you hate Trump. Right. And it's, it's vice versa. It's like, yep. you know, you're basically voting now because you hate the other guy, not because Correct. of what your guy does. 
So it takes yeah. away from what a vote should be about policy. You know, it's called politics. It should be about policy. And the thing is, you know, that's what I liked about the Libertarian Party is the fact that, you know, if you go to any of the meetings or you go to any of the online ones, there's a lot of disagreements going on because a lot of people have their own agendas and their own thought processes and you don't agree with that guy. But the one thing you agree on is that guy's got an opinion and the opinion on policy can change. Whereby... Right. If you just stick to the two-party system, it's like ideology. You're just stuck to their ideology. And really, is it really their ideology or is it just because you hate the other guy more because you're getting pushed their agenda? Because they don't talk about what's good about their party. That's very, right. you know, It's like, who, what, what Democrats pushing what a great job Biden's doing right now? You know, nobody. They're it's all just, pushing Trump is evil. You got to get Biden because Trump is bad. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. I agree. Yes, it's, so, it's, we're so voting it's, against things and not for things. But I want to go to the libertarian piece, if I could. Right. If you go to most libertarian groups or arguments or conversations, what you'll find is at the end of any argument between libertarians, it will end one of one of three ways. One, someone will go, yeah, I agree. That's rare. But that does happen sometimes. But there's other two of the much more common. One is you're stupid or you're wrong. Or two, you're not a real libertarian. That's what they'll actually end with. What they won't end with, which is what Democrats and Republicans will always end with, which is there ought to be a law against people like you. That's how Republicans and Democrats end their conversations. There ought to be a law against people like you. You will not hear that out of libertarians. We'll just call you not libertarian enough or stupid, but we will not say that, or we'll call you a statist. One or the other. We'll do, some, well, we'll do that. But we will not say that you should be arrested or there should be a law against you. And you will find that in the Democrat Republicans constantly. If you listen to what, when they talk, you'll almost always hear when it's a, for a solution, well, there needs to be more legislation. Legislation. If we had federal legislation, if we had more legislation, you hear that constantly out of Republicans and Democrats. You don't hear that out of libertarians. And that's the big difference. Yeah. So, so just to give a bit of insight is... You know, we'll start looking at some of your key policies coming through your page there as well, Larry, and we'll leave a link to there as well. So, you know, the first one we're speaking about is what's happened in New York over the last 10 years, and specifically in the last three years since COVID, that's yep. changed that city to basically being the greatest city in the world to now having multiple problems. Yes. Um, I would actually say the whole thing began... Actually, about 15 years ago, it began after the after the 2008 crash, right? 2009, 2010 is when there was basically no recovery in the in the country, except in about 20 cities, give or take. But 80 percent of all new jobs uh, after the crash came out of 20 uh, uh, American cities, New York being one of them. So people began to flock to cities because there was no recovery anyplace else. And as they flocked to cities. The cities couldn't handle them, right? People ran the cities to make things happen. And not just that. If people were flocking desperately to cities, city landlords and city other people just took advantage of it. They just basically said, we're going to take advantage of these people. We're going to raise the prices. We're going to do all these terrible things. We're taking all the money. And we're not going to fix anything. And that's what wound up happening. So now that begins to happen. As that happens, all of a sudden, now you have guys like Cuomo involved. When Cuomo takes over New York State, he is openly openly anti-Republican. That wasn't a thing before, right, in our in our state. We weren't openly anti-Republican. 
we were, in fact, we in, in 2000s, we had a Republican governor, right? I mean, Pataki was kind of Republican, but we had a Republican senator too, uh, Alphonse D'Amato. Once Cuomo comes into play, he is like all Republicans are evil. They're bad. In 2014, I think he said, literally, he said, um, if you're a conservative, there's no room for you in this state. That's his words. He's like, get out. Once that began to happen, things began to change because then it became, this is my state and I'm the ruler. And everything from that point began to happen to where now we stop passing laws. I'm exaggerating, but most of the things in New York State happen because of either executive order or some committee or commission is appointed by the governor to make things appropriate. If the legislature doesn't stop it, then it becomes law and putting everything in budget items. Why? Because if you vote against the budget, then the governor says, you hate children, you voted against children. And he started to punish people that way. And the entire state became to be ruled under one person, under one party. That is what began to happen after 2010, 12, 14, in that regard. Now, once Cuomo goes away, I'm sorry, before that, now COVID comes. When, when COVID comes, the first thing we did is start locking people down. What happened in New York State, and people just didn't understand this, and they, were, they just didn't get the power of this. When it came to New York State during the COVID lockdowns, every morning, the vast majority of New Yorkers got up and checked their phone or their computer or the TV to see if they could go to work that day. To see the government would allow them to go make a living. And they didn't complain. In fact, what they did was at seven o'clock, they clapped and said, yay, we love the essential workers. We clapped to the people. And then we, we worshiped the essential workers. But notice something. All of the essential workers were one or two types of people. Immigrants or government workers. They were the essential workers. But the actual people who got stuff done every day, they weren't essential. I would argue with anybody, any job that pays your bills is an essential job, period. If it pays your bills, it's essential. If you happen to be independently wealthy and you have a job just to play around because you're bored, okay, good for you. I hope you are in that position. If you are, that's not an essential job. But every other job is an essential job. And we just said that. And when that happened, New York State changed. New York State became, I can't do anything unless government tells me to. Government has to tell me everything. Government controls everything. We've accepted monopoly as the norm. And what wound up happening is people who didn't want to accept that packed up and left. New York State had been losing money, losing people, I'm sorry, and money, people for about 15 years, give or take, since the crash, and people haven't been coming back. We've lost over 100,000 people every single year. Now we're losing about 300,000 per year, just leaving the state. We lost Congress people because so many people left the state. One month, 6,000 people changed their license from a New York state license to a Florida license. That's 200 a day. That's how many are leaving the state just to go to Florida. Doesn't even count other states. That's just Florida. And it's just people who change their license. Some people didn't change their license or not. So imagine people are leaving the state. They're packing up and leaving left and right. Meanwhile, our budget is increasing. Our budget now is 220 billion with the B. That's more than 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 all but 19 countries in the planet and California. California's bigger than us. But per capita, we spend the most. Per capita, we spend more than California. The only state that spends more on its people, believe it or not, is Alaska. And that's because Alaska writes a check because of their oil. They write a check to the people. If you don't count a check they write to the people, New York State spends the most per, per person. We spend the most, we get the least, and people are leaving. 
my state is a disaster. So if you think, so what's the cost of living in New York right now? So, you know, I was in New York. I've been there a few times. I've been there once since post-COVID there as well. But I noticed the big difference since I went back. You know, obviously the homeless problems increased, but it's increasing yep. a lot of places. But the, yep. the cost of living is just increasing so fast. And then- Let me cover two pieces. Um, the cost of living first, then the homeless issues and all those issues. And the violence. Cost of living. In New York City, the average rent now is almost almost $4,000 per month. It's like 34 in like the Bronx or places like the lower l lower income areas. Um, it's like 3,000. In higher income, it's, it's average is like 4,000. Like I think Manhattan's 4,000. I think Brooklyn and Queens are like 3,500, something like that. That's the average rent. Can you imagine how much rent is? It's insane. It's insane how much rent, rent is to, to survive in this state, to survive in this city. It's crazy. Not just that. I mentioned this before in all across upstate New York. I told people two years ago, once the lockdowns hit, I said, lockdowns are going to crush New Yorkers who can't work. When they can't work, they're not going to pay their bills. When they can't pay their bills, they're just going to pack up and leave their houses. They're not going to care whether the house is a lease or a mortgage. They're going to pack up and they're going to leave and not care because they can't survive. They're just going to walk away. And if you think I'm making it up, you can go now to New York, the New York.gov, um, New York.gov website, and you will see a thing called zombie houses. They made that name up. I didn't. I said it was going to happen. They named it. Zombie houses are so common in New York. It's on the gov website. It's houses that are just abandoned. But I, I'm leaving. I have a mortgage. Come chase me in Florida if you can find me. I'm out. I can't afford to live here. They just pack up and leave. And people are walking by a house and looking at it and seeing, somebody live there anymore? They're seeing the grass grow, weeds pop up. They might live there anymore. No, they just walked away. And now what happens is now squatters go into the house and live there instead. And nobody cares. That's happening in New York State. Now, when it comes to homeless people in New York City, same problem. The problem with New York City is for you to get into a, a housing shelter, it takes bureaucracy to do so because it's run by the state, run by the, the city, and it's horrible bureaucracy. And they go, but Larry, you have that bureaucracy. You don't have to have it, number one. Nonprofits don't have that kind of bureaucracy. But we do. Why does that matter? Because if you're working poor and you're homeless, that's fine. You can probably handle it. You might even have a family unit that can deal with the bureaucracy. No worries. But what happens if you have an addiction problem or if you have mental illness? You cannot handle bureaucracy. You functionally cannot handle it because you're either an addict or you have mental illness. You cannot handle it. So you will not. Do we do anything to fix that? We don't. So instead, what do we do? Now people are all around doing nothing hang out in the MTA, hang out on the streets. Of course they are. You may go, wait a minute, Larry, but they have mental illness. Why can't we help them? Why? Because for two years during a lockdown, people couldn't go back to their families. People couldn't go into hospitals. People couldn't go get help. People couldn't see their therapists. People couldn't get the medicines. So if you have mental illness and or you're an addict and you can't get help and you can't get your medicine, you're going to get worse. Whatever your issue is, is going to be worse. And when you can't find anything, what do you be looking for? Whatever the street level drug is to either make your pain go away if you have if you have mental illness or to, to have your to fix your issue if you're an addict. Either way, you are going to go do that because you can. It is in it is it has made everything worse, and no one's gonna say what made things worse, which was the lockdowns. But I'm not even done with that. One of the reasons why lockdowns hurt so bad is people left New York City in droves. 
right now the commercial um, occupancy is only about 45 to 50%. That's 50% of these commercial areas not being um, inhabited. And you might go, well, Larry, why do I care? Because of all those small businesses that relied upon these people coming into the city. Because of all the people who are supposed to be paying the MTA and the subway system to make that work. Or paying for buses and paying for all those things. They're not anymore. They're not going in a subway. So the subway keeps getting more and more dangerous because there's less and less funds. Everything's getting worse. And now these people who used to be workers, they don't work anymore. What are they going to do? Now they're homeless. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Now you're... If you were an undocumented worker and many people who are either who have bad resumes, who are for, who are former um, felons, convicts, any of those people, many of them don't have a good record. So many of them are working off the books, right? All of a sudden now, there's no job for them anymore. So what are you going to do? They can't move. They can't go anywhere. Well, back on the street. What does that mean? Back into gangs. And there is our violence. Our violence is in gangs, addicts, and people who have mental illness, mostly gang warfare, but the other two also, right? For the average person who's hurt, that's usually a, a an issue when it comes to an addict or someone who has a, a violent mental illness, right? Most people with mental illness do not hurt you. Most of them hurt themselves, if anybody else, but there are those who will hurt you because they have schizophrenia. They think you're bad. They think you're going to go to get them. That's the kind of thing that will happen sometimes, right? Or addicts who are desperate trying to get something. They hurt you to get money so they can buy their buy their fix, that kind of thing. But a lot of it's gang warfare. What do we do? We locked up. We we locked up our um, we locked up all the jobs and the schools. So we took young men who were already suffering with no purpose, who were already suffering, and we said, you know what? Don't go to work. Don't go to school. Stay in the streets. And let's destroy the let's destroy the entire supply chain so everything people wants more expensive. And the gang leader said, "Oh my God, thank you. You gave me an amazing black market, and you've recruited all my gang members." Government, you're the best. Thank you so much. And they picked up all the gang members and they picked up the black market and then they're shooting people in the streets. Why would you shoot people in the streets, Larry? Here's the reason why. If you're in the black market, you don't have cops and you don't have courts. So how do you enforce your contracts? How do you enforce your territories? How do you enforce your intellectual property? Street violence, street justice. That's how you do it. That's why they shoot them in the middle of the street. That's why it's the middle of the day. They want you to know, Alistair, mess with my product, you're going to get shot. Don't mess with my product. That's why they do it. So all of this was exacerbated because of the lockdowns. It's all gotten worse because of the lockdowns. And no one will bring it up. Let's go, well, it's defund the police or support the cops or whatever the thing is. It's not the reality of it was. It was the lockdowns that made everything worse. Yeah, I'm just looking at some numbers here of homeless in New York. And then obviously this is government figures to give people an insight. But they said... In July, there was 52,000 homeless people in New York. I think that's, uh, but they said last year it was over 100,000 on any single day. So it's a bit of a disparity. Uh, how was 100,000 there? Has it improved by 50% in July as it runs up to the election? Potentially not. But even with their own 52,000, it's nearly 17,000 children. So that's yeah. 17,000 people under the age of 16 homeless in New York City every single night right now. And that's like a crazy figure for people to understand. This huge amount of people. And then again, you think, how? Do, I always love it. There's any election come up, suddenly the new figures coming out from the government's like improved from last year. So, you know, has it, you know, has it improved by 50% in the last year? 
No, you're just telling me it's getting worse. No, no, I'm 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 sure it has because what they've done is I don't know if, what they do is what they do is they take a bunch of taxpayer money. I'm not joking, it's what they actually do, and they put people in hotels. And that cuts the numbers. So they're not actually housed, you just put them in hotels. And how long do they so, put in hotels for? Just a short period of time so they can count just, them or correct. Yes, that's so they're telling the truth, but they're being I guess uh, they're not being clear. Literally, this and de Blasio did this more than anybody. De Blasio would literally put them in four and five star hotels and would pay with taxpayer dollars. And just pay the hotels. Here's money. Put them all in there. And then they just go into the hotels. And they did it in the, in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which is a, a very wealthy area. And the people got upset. They goes, we're paying six, $7,000 a month in rent. You're not going to come outside and see 45 you know, people who are literally shooting up in front of my kids and or having sex, this actually happened, having sex in the streets for money while I'm walking my kids to school. They're like, no, we're moving out. And people started leaving. And these are people who literally just packed up and left their lease and said, I'm not paying my lease. Now, imagine you're a landlord and you're counting on $6,000 per month from multiple units and all of a sudden they're not coming in anymore. You're not happy. You're not happy. So what are you going to do? You start telling the government, I'm not happy. So what does the governor do to make you happy? Well, I'll pay you $6,000, put a homeless person in it. And I use taxpayer dollars for it. And they'll do that. They'll they'll pay these people money to put them in this place. And now they're not homeless anymore because they're sitting inside someone's apartment or they're sitting inside a commercial place that, that, that no longer uh you know can 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 put anybody in it, or they're sitting inside a hotel. So it is true what they're doing, it's just disingenuous. Yeah, and it doesn't really solve the problem at all. Just not. increasing here. You know, they speak about it in California, they speak about San Diego, but they, you know, and, and then they move them on. So they say, yes, yeah, so well, it's out of sight, out of mind type thing. Correct. You know, we've cleaned yes. the area and they're all living there in their tented villages, especially if you go up to LA, it's everywhere. And then suddenly they just come along with, uh, you know, the police come along, shift them along. The road sweeper comes along. That's, yep. they, that's these people's possessions, by the way. You know, this is them living in the street. They've collected all this. They've got their little, you know, corner of this encampment. That's where they've got their life right now. Yeah, that's all taken away. Boom, you're all going there. Over 50% have got mental health problems, and then suddenly it's out of sight, out of mind. But then suddenly, two months later, it it comes up somewhere else, and this time there's even more homeless people. So it's like it's like it's a it's a never ending circle that gets worse and worse and worse. The the way you fix this is several fold. Number one, you've got to make a system that does not have government bureaucracy in it, which means you allow the private sector do a better job of it. You allow the private sector to to actually discriminate, which is going to sound terrible, but I mean this in a very good way. In other words, what I mean is you want to have them to have special housing for special types of people, special types of uh, demographics, special populations, like, for example, single moms, right? Why would I want to put single moms in with other people who aren't single moms if I don't have to? Why wouldn't I want to create a specific building for single moms where they have small, tiny um, apartments which are, again, very small. You want them tiny on purpose against the Department of Building Regulations. Why? Because to your point, when people become homeless for a certain period of time, they become accustomed to their small area of a thing, whatever that is. That becomes their habit. If you give them larger apartments, they tend to just go into one small area anyway. You want them to feel comfortable and to be able to move out of that apartment when they feel appropriate. You do that. 
and you create services and social environments within that building. That's being done across this country and other places. So the, the single moms on the, say, the first floor or the second floor, the, the, the first floor is some type of social environment where they, they can get together and breastfeed together or play with their kids or whatever the case may be and, and become social and interact again. When people are homeless, they forget Literally, they forget the skills on how to be involved in the average, um, uh, uh, you know, back and forth that non-homeless people are part of. Let them get back into the world. Let them ease back in and feel comfortable about themselves. Deal with people who also have the same issues they have. And then the basement is services. That may be things like helping the, the single moms with resumes to get back into the workforce. Maybe childcare for those who have who want to put their kids in childcare for a day. They can feel comfortable and safe while they go out and try to get their life back together. It may mean education services if you, if somebody's uh, moms are young and want to get their high school diploma. Whatever you create that environment where you're a single mom, you can just go there. Just go there. Do it with veterans, right? Do it with people who have mental illness. Do it with individual groups. You can just show up. And that becomes the system that they become in. Now, that's the first piece. But it's the second piece of this. And that is many people have, who, have, who don't trust the system anymore or who've been failed by the system, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to go into my housing because they've already been in that game. They don't believe it. They don't trust it. They've surrendered already. But many of them will go to places like the MTA, which is why I have an idea called the Caring Caboose. The Caring Caboose is the idea that the last um, subway uh, car of every other subway train is a place where people who either are homeless and or have addiction problems can go to get help. The la is no cops there because many of these people are afraid of cops, private security and counselors, addiction and psychiatry services are in that last car. They get Wi-Fi and then get connected to the system. So now Johnny shows up and they go, Johnny, oh my God, how you been? Let me check you on the computer. Oh, wait a minute. Have you had your medication today? Blah, blah. How you feeling? Boom, boom, boom. Look, have you been to the new house? There's a new house over there in Brooklyn. Been to that house? Can I get you in the system, Johnny? Why? Because when you're an addict and you're jonesing, you don't want help. You want your next hit. That's what you want. You don't want help. I know my mother was an addict. I know how it is to have an addict in your family. If you, if anyone watching I know has been affected by addiction in some way, either someone they love, someone they know, or themselves. Because it's everywhere in our country. So you've been affected by it in some way. When an addict's jones in, they don't want help. So give them their equivalent of methadone or whatever is the equivalent of getting them so they're not jonesing anymore or cannabis product or whatever, whatever's required. Again, I'm not an expert here, but there will be experts there who will know what to do to get them down so they're not jonesing anymore and then go, you know what, Johnny, it's time for some help. How can we get you going someplace? I don't know whether it's the first, second, 200th, or 1 millionth I love you that gets Johnny to get his act together. But but if we never give him the I love yous, he's never getting it together. And I would rather him not die. I'd rather him have a chance at getting things, you know, taken care of. Up, oh, and there we go. Let me go to affordable housing. Thank you, Patricia, for that. The next piece is, in these houses I'm talking about, the rule is, uh, Patty, the rule is, all they have to do is pay one third of their income, whatever that is. If you make no income, it's nothing. If you make 300 bucks a month, it's 100 bucks. You pay one third of your income. That's it. Your income is irrelevant. You just pay one third of it. It is run by a private company sponsored by companies that want to that want to do the right thing, meaning they don't really care about the right thing, but who want to have a better image, right? So now some company like BP does an oil spill and they want to look good. Good. Sponsor these houses. Instead of dropping, you know, $20 million on some ad campaign, 
Drop $20 million and sponsor this house for three years. Do that instead. And it'll be the BP house of homeless mothers who are getting better or whatever. And then they'll sponsor it. And then the people who are making it will make some money. And as that house makes money, it keeps going, right? Because some people are spending something. He's being one third, whatever little bit it is that goes and moves the housing further and further and further. So that's how that works. But now second, you then want to have a public housing world to where once you can get out of that homeless shelter, basically, into actual public housing, you want to make it affordable enough and more importantly, rent to own. You want all public housing to be rent to own. You also want it to be built by companies, real estate companies that are now building other things. How do you get them to do that? They don't want to do it. It's cheap housing. Who wants to do that? You do it by if they do rent to own public housing, if they do that rent to own housing like this, inexpensive, affordable, once they sell the property or properties, that organization pays no tax on it. And, it, and the people on the left get mad. Oh, you're giving the wealthy tax breaks. They already get tax breaks. They're already doing it. It's not like I'm making up tax breaks. It's already there. What I'm trying to get them to do is the right thing with their money. They could put money into this. People will begin to rent to own, actually own their own apartments. When you start owning your own apartment, you're not mad at gentrification. You're happy at it. You're making money. You're good. When wealthy and savvy people move, they always get a check because they will always have equity in their home. When people who aren't wealthy and or savvy move, if they're lucky, they get one half of their of their month's you know um, security back. If they're lucky, usually get nothing back. Well, all of a sudden, now you have been rent to own. You get ownership after the first year, which is not normal, but that has to be part of the deal. You get ownership the first year. After the first year you leave, if you leave, you get a check. You're able to move and have ownership in your home. It's a whole different way of doing things. If we made that happen, you would you would make a massive dent in your homeless population, a massive dent in your addiction population, a massive dent in your mental health population. And again, we're always going to have people with problems. People will always fall down, make mistakes, be unlucky. That will always happen. But we can make it less and less. Yeah. No, no, I agree with that as well, Larry. And it's also, you know, I was researching like public libraries. So what people don't realize is that for homeless people, public libraries, where's their key access point to the world? So if we're closing yep. down all the public libraries, how do these people get on the internet? How can they apply for a job? You know, you need to go online somewhere and apply for a job. Homeless people use public libraries. So when people think, oh, the public, I don't get, I don't borrow a book anymore. I've got a Kindle. I, I read stuff online. What's the point in having a library anymore? and they're closing them all down, that was the focal point for homeless people to get back in onto the system. Now, if we close all the public libraries down, that's their access point coming in now. It's just disappeared like that. Well, so, Well, yeah, but again, it's not that I'm, I want to shut down libraries. I, I don't. But my point, if you see my point, my point is always, I don't want government to be the only monopoly. I want others to be able to find other ways to fix it. This goes back to me talking about third parties, right? I want people to be able to experiment, right? I said, just because I was guessing, that single mom housing would be a good idea. I'm, I'm not a social worker. I could be wrong. Maybe there's another group of people or population that would be a better choice. Let people figure that out, right? I'm, I'm some guy running for governor. I don't know what the right populations are. I know that certain populations will work. We've seen it happen when it came to prison populations in, in the Humvee program for veterans. We've seen it work for veterans here in the Bronx, the Jericho Project. So I know it can work, right? But you got to find the right population, right? I don't know. You know, I don't know what 
clearly people with mental illness, they're not a monolith. There's different types of disabilities and mental disabilities and, and illnesses. So I don't know which population is the right one. But if government will make a line and make decisions, and that will be the only answer. I don't want the public library to be the only answer. I would like there to be many answers for people to get themselves back into society as fast as they feel comfortable, the way they want to get back into society, right? One of the things we had, this is, I think, on the Bloomberg, if I'm not mistaken, in New York City. There's a group of people who went by with, with um, mobile showers. And the, the, the idea was to have mobile showers plus new clothes. To your point, right? If, if you want, if you decide, okay, this is the day I'm going to try to get a job, you know, I, my head's clean, I'm going to try to get my stuff together. How do you get a job when you haven't showered in three weeks? Or how do you head back to your family when you realize, hey, I got to get clean in case of addiction. I want help of my brother, my sister, my, my cousin, my aunt. They don't want to see you when you haven't had, when you were in the same clothes from four weeks ago. So what do they do? Mobile showers with clothes. If you were, if you were on the street, you could go in, take a shower, put on some new clothes, get back out there. Feel like you're part of society again with some new clothes and a, and a nice a nice hot shower. City shut them down. City was like, well, no, water issues and parking issues and shut them down. Why would we be stopping that? But again, if we have those houses I'm talking about, that's a place to go shower. If you have a carrying caboose in a train, have another one of those at bus stations. Right? Now you have a bus station which is now going to be a carrying caboose at a bus station. This is where people go when they're in trouble. They go to the MTA, bus stations, subways, where they go. Meet them where they are, give them some hope, and then plug them into a system that works. How am I going to – if you've had an addict in your life, you know this feeling I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Sometimes the person you love just kind of disappears. Sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months. Sadly, sometimes for years, they just disappear and you can't find them. Well, how am I going to get my loved one into a program or into the system when I physically can't find them for weeks or months on end? How do I do that? Well, if I've got a carrying a boost in the subway and or I got the same situation at a bus station, they will check themselves in. That's where they'll go check in. Now I just go there and say, hey, did my, did my brother show up? Oh, who is his name? Oh, yeah. He was here last Thursday. Oh, my God, he was. Awesome. Okay, he's alive. Good. He's alive. Let him know that his brother's here. And next time he comes, give me a call. I'll come pick him up. This kind of thing could actually happen, but it doesn't. And I'm the only one talking about ways to actually fix things. And here's the crazy reason why. I actually talk to New Yorkers. The other candidates don't. They don't. They say, I cross the state. Yes, they go from fundraiser to fundraiser within each each county. They don't go talk. I talk to people in diners. I talk to people in at VFWs, at American Legions. I go to vape shops. I just talk to people. That's how I know this. I've been through this stuff. Sadly, people don't want to hear it. Hmm. But yeah, yeah. But, but it's like people need to apply something new in order to fix the problem. It was like yes. the tiny homes idea. You know, this guy developed this tiny home in California. Yep. If people have seen it, it's like they create these little small houses for homeless people. They all love this idea. They could have yep. their own door. They could lock and keep their possessions in there. I had a yep. small toilet. I had a small sink. It was somewhere where they could change. They had a little bed. It was very small. Had like different types of ways of heating, etc. They start. It started to put them up, and then the California government and oh, we don't like this. Doesn't doesn't fit in with our regulation. Correct. So, 
you're getting away from a system where a guy's invented something. He's prepared to build these things at no cost. And I think they were coming in at like $5,000 each and he's raising funding to pay for these small, tiny homes. And then the yeah. California governor, no, no, we can't do that because it doesn't fit well, in with our regulation, but we'll just have them on the streets anyway. And we'll just yeah. keep getting worse, you know? Well, here's the issue to remember. And the, the real reason why this happens, the reason why so many things happened, governors in general, New York state is notorious for this. They want to control who gets the jobs. So when someone decides to go do something on their own, the governor isn't deciding who gets the jobs. So the governor's uh, corporate cronyism system doesn't work and it fails, which means they don't raise money, which means they can't keep political power. So I can't have you ask, I can't have you go out and building things unless I hand you the check from the government and you are now indebted to me. You're just fixing things. That's a problem. You need to be indebted to me to fix things. So one, I can make sure you do as I say, and you give me money. And two, I can take credit for everything that's done. Yeah. So it may seem like it's nuts, but always follow the money. That's what it's about. They're not trying to help the homeless. They're trying to make sure the power and money is in charge. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we could do, speak about this all day, but I think yes. just move on the last topic here is the New York coin, which we were going to speak about at the beginning, Laddie. <laughs> you got but, me started, man. I had to keep talking. You got yeah, me you've got, started. But that's good, though, because if people need to see that and understand that people are out there trying to make a difference and give a different type of viewpoint and look at different policies in a different way and not just be uh, the case of, well, because I hate Trump or I hate Biden. And if you're doing anything otherwise, it's like, and it's not like everyone has to agree everything you've said, Laddie. It's just like you've got some ideas in terms of policy that people should start to adopt. And the bigger party should be in a position whereby, and this is how coalition governments work for people to understand yep. is the, the small parties in Europe and other places, they don't run the government. They've got one or two key policies that they force the bigger party to go along with. Correct. And they say, we'll vote along with you to get your other policies through. But here's our two key policies. And we want you to push that agenda with ours. And they fit, you know, you know, the, a lot of what you're saying is fits with the Democrat Party. A lot of what you're saying fits with the Republican Party. Yep. Again, they could just actually say, right, OK, we want to do this one. Like, why would the uh, Democrat Party be against the caring caboose, you know, if they're well, out there yeah. representing the people? You know, but in, in, in theory, they should both be happy, right? All my plans do two things. They still allow support for the working poor and the middle class. Is what I focus on those two, right? The working poor and middle class. They still help those two. And they do not increase taxes. So if I'm trying to help the working poor and middle class, the left should be happy. If I'm not increasing taxes, the right should be happy. So in both cases, I should be making both sides happy. But the problem, though, is this: they can't have control of it. That's the problem. They can't have control of all control the money or jobs. That's why they're upset. Note, all my policies have been on my page for five years. They've never taken any of them because my policies don't allow government control, right? Government oversight always, because if you defraud people or angry, you, you still can sue them or go to jail if you commit a crime. There's also always government oversight in case, you know, crimes are committed, of course, but they don't have control of it. And that's the issue. The New York coin piece, though, was something else I want to do. I want to create a separate company. I call it the NIST, the New York State Social Trust, similar to what Singapore does, similar to what Norway does, similar to those types of organizations to where they create a separate, a separate organization that can fund things within New York State. How do we do this? You create a separate company, separate CEOs, separate everything with a specific charter that comes from New York State. 
The controller obviously oversees it. Clearly, over, still, there's still government oversight, but it's run separately. And its goal is to make money so it can pay for things in New York State. That's the goal of it. How do you make that happen? I want to make it to where it begins with about $80 billion in New York State debt. I know some people are mad when I even say that, but it's got to start somewhere. Why 80 billion? Because that's about our income. That's about our tax. How much money we bring in for taxes in New York State every year? About 80 billion dollars. So we start with 80 billion dollars of debt, and we grow this trust. My hope is within four to six years to a trillion dollars. I know that's a lot. However, Norway and and Singapore both have trillion dollar uh, um, 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 trusts, and both of them are five million people or less. We have 18 million people in New York State and with a financial capital of America. If we can't do that, shame on us. We should be able to move into a trillion dollars within four to six years. If we can do that, the way it works is it's not debt. It begins with debt in New York State, but anyone who invests in it, they invest in it and they basically get almost like a share, which is basically my coin, right? It is monetized via coins and it's dividend. You can also get dividends from it if you want to also. Dividends and also monetized via coin. So it's not officially debt. You're basically buying into the trust. As you buy in, it makes more money. And the dividend's basically based upon how much revenue New York State brings in. It's safe, but it's not high yield. What does that mean? There's a chunk, as you know, of permanent capital, whatever that chunk is, that loves very safe, low-yield investments, right? Like the, the municipal bond types, right? Those types. Whoever wants those will come to us right? They'll start coming to us. As we start making that money, we can, within the first two years, begin to pay for all school tax across New York State. When that begins to happen, we can eliminate school tax across New York State. Eliminating school tax means the average New Yorker's property tax will go down by about 50%. That happens immediately. Now we have a chance for rents to maybe stabilize because the price the price is going up as much. You also have an opportunity for people to stay here who are retiring and retiring in Florida versus retiring here. So you have a better chance of helping out the average New Yorkers and take that, that money that they were giving to New York State and instead spend it locally is what I hope, or at least spend it within New York State. So things will get better for the average New Yorker. Some of them won't leave. But on top of that, if the funding is coming directly from the NIST, now there are no strings attached from the federal government or from the state government. If that begins to happen, all of a sudden now, Local people have more control. We can get rid of some of our administrators, get teachers raises, put more money into the, into the students. Everything gets better. But here's more important. The coin itself can be used if they want to. It's up, again, in New York, if you want to, you can have, it is legal to have a state currency. That can happen. You cannot have a currency that crosses states, sponsored by a state, because then that would be competing with the dollar. And that would be obviously a problem. That's counterfeiting. But no, if it's internally, there are states that have internal uh, uh, currencies. I think Utah has it. I think South Dakota, I think, has it too. A couple of states have their own internal currency. And it's legal if it's internal. We can use this coin if we want to, to buy and sell things within New York State, creating another way of creating internal markets locally. So it can help tremendously in every way, shape, and form. All good. Happy to deal with that issue. Yeah. And I think for people thinking of like the Norwegian, is it the Norwegian Sovereign Fund? I think mm -hmm. that's what they call it. So sovereign wealth fund. So therefore, they've got a separate fund. Now, obviously, it's a small population. They've sold a lot of oil. Correct. So this is this has allowed Norway to have the best standard. Yeah. Norway of the world. Did it based upon oil. Saudi Arabia did it based upon oil. 
but Singapore did it based upon finance. So we would probably follow the, the Singapore model or in theory, the Luxembourg model in theory, Luxembourg also is similar. It's basically a, a bank surrounded by a city. Uh, so, right. So we might follow that model. So we'd follow the financial model, not the oil model, unless to your earlier point, we're able, and it's another piece that we want to do. We want to build three nuclear power plants in a North country of New York state. The advantage of this is there's no NIMBY issue. People there want power plants in, in there for the jobs. No one's going to fight them. And most of it's government land anyways. We can lease the land out, build three nuclear power plants, Gen 4 nuclear power plants, the safe nuclear power plants that we have now, the new Gen 4 ones. And one of those power plants could also sell um, nuclear energy and then and also fund the fund, right, the trust. So we could, in a way, copy the Norwegian model but realistically, to build nuclear power plants in New York State, best case is four years. And that's assuming everything goes perfectly well. In reality, probably more like six years to get it built. Yeah. And, you know, I, I speak about this AmeriCoin concept that we were working with uh, Kokesh and John McAfee, et cetera. And yep. he originally was looking to replace the Federal Reserve with uh, mm -hmm. a cryptocurrency that would take away a lot of government money. You know, for people that were watching that and understand is, you know, why did people like Bitcoin from the Libertarian Party is because you can buy a good from A to B. And when you pay for this service, whether it's this country or going abroad, you automatically miss out the government taxes, the sales taxes, yep. the Absolutely. bank fees, the transaction fees, the international transaction fees. And rather than taking seven days to transport your money across the world, and then there's multiple people taking a bite of your cash all the way through, yep. that happens instantaneously and nobody gets something, just you and the end user. But Absolutely. when we started to get involved in it, my background in tokenization was, you know, we're tokenizing yeah, energy assets and providing fractional ownership of the asset. So yep. the original constitution is that, you know, the land belongs to the people, not the government or the king. And that was King George of England at the time. Now we've got King Charles back in charge. So I wonder if you want to take it all back. But God um, save the king. God save the king. Exactly. <laughs> he, he wants all the land back, everybody, you know. But but if you think of like, you know, and you think about America, you know, we talk about the debt of the country and the national debt. But if you think of the, the government land in this country is currently own 54% of the land. So the asset value of that 54% based on finance, you know, and this is like the likes of Wikipedia, is the Wikipedia, according to them, is about $270 trillion. So the government actually owns $270 trillion worth of assets because on this land, there's all this gold, there's all this oil, there's all this timber, there's all these natural resources, there's all the land that we can make all the renewable energy that all we need, if we could just give Elon Musk, Elon, I'll tell you what, we'll give you a 300 year lease on all this land, as long as you give everyone free electricity, you know, it'd be great, he would do it, but they're not going to let him do that. So you're thinking it's a huge amount of money. And then we, the concept that we were trying to develop was that all the people through social security would have an ownership of this AmeriCoin. So we would have right. fractional ownership of this AmeriCoin. And as it produces money, so as the tokenized asset distributions is different from UBI because UBI is universal basic income and it's an allowance from the government. So if we all got UBI of $1,000 and we pump all this money in, I think inflation is showing people right now that... If we all got a $1,000 UBI, I guarantee within three months, that's worth $900. And you can see yourself when you're going into the stores right now. 
if it's a tokenized asset distributions is as this massive token that we all own fractionally, not just the very few guys who are in with the government that own the land, basically, as it makes money, we all get distributions and we get the distributions in the form of, you know, it can convert it into cryptocurrency, US dollars, and you can do this. And as it makes money, and then people say, well, will it make money? You're not telling me that 54% of the land that owns all the natural resources won't make money and all right. the people get it by social security. And that was the bit we liked with Kokesh about. It. And we argued back and forward because he goes, this sounds a little bit like UBI. I says, it's not UBI because it's like, if it doesn't make money, we don't get any distributions. But I guarantee 54% of the land, if we all own a fractional interest, so the richest guy, Bill Gates, he would own the same as the guy who's homeless on the street. And right. then the whole concept of taking this forward is that all these homeless people would now own an asset, a tiny fractional piece of this asset, a tiny fractional piece of the park, tiny fractional piece of all this land, tiny fractional piece of this gold. But as it makes distributions, now, will it make any difference to Bill Gates? No, he's a multi-billionaire. It doesn't make any difference. Will it make difference to this homeless person or this person that's poor or all these people that never own an asset before? And then the thing is, I spoke to Ledger. Well, but but there, but there, there are some concerns here, right? The one thing is, if you do it this way, right? If you do it this way, you you probably don't want to allow, and it's going to sound horrible for me to say it, but I'm just being very forward with you, someone to sell their asset away. Oh, they, they because, can't sell the asset. Yes, right? You can so only you, get the distributions. So the there asset we go. can't be sold. Perfect. So you, you want to just make a distribution because what will then happen is, now, if I know that there's a distribution for you know, homeless guy or gal A on the street, why wouldn't I make a tiny house for that person? I'll make a tiny house because I know I can get one third of their income. They're going to have income. Yeah. Whatever that number is, I get one third of it, right? If my, With my plan of one third of your income yeah, as, yeah. as Patty asked, right? Your thing. Yeah. So, all so I would know I'm getting one third of the income. Because he's got some income, whatever that is. If it's a lot one month, a little the next month, I'm going to get something. It gives me an incentive to support him. Not just that. I also want to stay in my house. So I might actually want to give him some some good services so that he wants to stay here. So that he can tell others friends to come here. That he, so that I can build more of these houses. More friends want to come. So with what you're talking about, that actually would encourage my system. Yeah, I think so. And I think it just, to me, it because I'm a... Um, special needs father. So my, my mm -hmm. oldest son, Malachi, he's autistic. So obviously, you know, I, I can, I can tell people who are on the spectrum because I've been to so many different types of therapy and sure. I've been involved in doing this over the years. And I was chairman of Autism Speaks Walk in uh, San Diego for a year with my wife. But, you know, I met 3000 families and they're, you know, the thing about when you go into something like autism or mental health, it affects everybody, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're doing that as well. But what you're seeing is it's just an affliction that can happen to any people and you want the services to help these people coming in there. And when I look at people in parks and I look at that as well, it's just like, it's just a perception that people still look at and just think, you know, it's drugs, it's drink. It's like, you can Well, well that was my point that I brought up earlier. It's not a monolith, right? Mental yeah. illness is not a monolith. Addiction it. is not a monolith. Homelessness is not a monolith. They're all different parts, right? And generally speaking, if you happen to be a family working poor homeless, you have the best chance of getting out 
because you have support structure within your family, you are working, your people can handle bureaucracy. The odds of you getting out of homeless are much higher if you happen to be a working family versus someone who either has a mental illness problem or has addiction. Your odds of getting out are very slim. It's just not a model. And even if you have mental illness, even being on a spectrum, you know, there's a huge gap in the spectrum. There are certain people on a spectrum who the question is, can they tie their shoe? And for someone else, it's what's, what job can they hold? And everything in between, right? My, my niece is is on a spectrum. And she is ve it's very hard for her to communicate. She can, but it's difficult. Some people on a spectrum can't even communicate. Some communicate very clearly. It's Even that's the spectrum. Yeah, and then, and then you think of the veterans as well, and the veteran yep. as well. You know, it's like there's over fifty thousand veterans homeless on the street every night in America, and this is just increasing again. And it, again, that's the thing is like, and a lot of these people, it's because they've gone to war, they've got P PTSD. Yep. That's what's caused the problem this person's dealing with right now. And um, I, you know, I was in this first five program I spoke about before. And it was one of the guys, he came and he was living under a bridge, basically about five miles from my house. And he'd been in the first Gulf War and he, uh, a bomb went off and he got a bit of shrapnel on his brain, basically. He was telling us a story. He can actually, he's, he's legally allowed to access services, Larry. But you should have seen the forms that this guy brought in. That's my point. Yes. Like this, you've got to fill in these forms. It was yes. like, it was like, so this guy's living under a bridge. He's fought for the country. He said two tours of Iraq. I think it was the second one that went. It doesn't matter. He was 10 years there. He brought in these forms and it was a Hispanic woman who was running the first five program. And she had a disability herself with her arms. She could only use one of her arms. It was sort of, I can't remember the description of the disability, what it was. She wasn't able to use one. But she was about to take time out of her work to help fill in the form. And this is a, is a Mexican woman who's now a US citizen from Tijuana who's got a disability that's basically yep. filling in a form for a white guy that's gone and done the service in the country. He's got sharp on his brain. And if she didn't help him, he, no one else in the whole world's helping that guy. And it's like literally what I'm talking about, right? Like, if you've got a family, right. And let's say the, I'm making this up. You got a, you got a, you got a mom, a dad and two kids. And maybe the mom is out working. She's doing whatever off the books, you know, maid work or something, right? That's what she's doing to try to make some kind of money. And the dad's out of work. Well, the dad can then take the time to fill out all the forms, right? He can do it at least. He's there. He can do, go through it, right? He can do it. But what happens to your point? If you either have a mental illness, addiction, or just some guy who just is too much for you, you just can't do it. You, you just, you're right. It's impossible. And I want to make it to where it's simple, to where it doesn't matter if you happen to be lucky enough to have someone who knows how to fill out forms or not, or you happen to have some 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 lovely woman who wants to do it for you, right? That yeah. it doesn't matter that anyone can go in and make it work. And that means no bureaucracy, which means less government. Government means bureaucracy by default. Yes. Yeah. And I think if you look at veterans and the way veterans are treated, if you speak to veteran charities here, and, you know, a lot of them I spoke because I go to the, a lot of the oil shows and there's always veteran charities at oil shows because there's a lot of veterans go into the oil business yep. after they've finished being in the military because they're prepared to go and work in Africa and all these places where you're not your normal person wants to go. So, yes. so they push to get there, but there's always a veteran charity. And they just said to me, it would be so easy if we had a way for veterans just access service to say, I was a veteran, here's my card, I get access services, not I was a veteran. 
oh, by the way, well, you're no longer veteran. Here's the white pages of forms to fill in, you know? And it's like, they're telling me that. And it's like, that's people from the charities. And you're just thinking, and I yep. tell Americans this, and Americans go, oh, there can't be 50,000 veterans on the homeless in the street. You know, we thank you for your service, but one in eight males on the street right now in America is a veteran, homeless yep. person. That's the, yep. that's the percentage. So if you're in New York right now and you walk past eight homeless guys, one of them did service for your country. That's yep. like, that's the statistics that people need to realize. It's just like, and it's, and if you no, can't, I'm, look, I, I help, but I'm a vet myself. I was in Marine Corps. So, I mean, I, I, I'm a vet myself. I know I do what veterans all the time. And I say the same thing. It's, it's very difficult. It's hard. It's hard for them because several things. One, they don't want to ask for help. That's the hardest thing. They don't want to ask for help. So you've got to get them to be able and feel comfortable asking about. I used to do some some training in a couple uh, places where I would try to get veterans to be better at um, uh, uh, interviewing for a job or resume building, those types of things, right? I do some transition services. I do it for free because I love my veterans. I charge banks a lot of money so that I can do the best for free. So so one of the things I they have trouble is I try to get them to, to tell a success story that they could tell some HR rep when they're on an interview, right? So come up with a success story that you've done so they can kind of see what kind of person you are. And it's like pulling teeth. They don't want to say their successes because they feel like I'm just doing my job. And then what I remember, I, I tell a story often because it, it, it's it's burning to my skull. Guy was in the Navy and forever he just won't, he's like, I don't know, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything in the Navy, nothing. And it's probably 20 minutes of me in talking to the people, trying to pull it out of him. And he finally goes, well, I saved the guy's life once. And I'm like, <laughs> that's an amazing success story. what are you talking about so we walked down the story and, and here's the part that makes it even crazier you know what he wanted to do he wanted to be a security guard i'll say he wanted to be a security guard if you're hiring a security guard wouldn't you want to hear a story about a guy who saved somebody's life like literally that's exactly what you want to hear if you're the hiring manager for a security firm literally that's the story you want to hear and he didn't want to tell it because he was like i'm just doing my job though like I was doing my job. So that's a big problem with veterans. They don't want to ask for help. They don't want to be, they want to help. They don't want to be helped. If that makes any sense. They want to be the hero. They don't want a hero to help them. And it's very challenging for them to be able to do that. It is very hard. I, I agree completely, which is why I like the idea of specialized housing, specialized yeah, like programs. People, I'm a vet. They will listen to me. I, the amount of times I'm going to tell you, it's going to sound funny. I've ordered vets to do stuff. And I have no power over them whatsoever. None. They have no reason to me. I'll say, no, 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 no. You will do this and this and this. You understand me? And I'll say this. You understand the lawful order I've given you? And they'll go, yes, Sergeant. And they'll just do it. Why? It's not because I have some power over them. I don't. I have none. But they don't want to feel weak. They don't want to feel like they need help. And me ordering them gives them an excuse to go do it. I wouldn't have come here, but, you know, Larry Sharp told me to, so I'm showing up. But now they get help, right? And they want, and they get the help that they need. And I think when you have other people who are veterans who get that, that helps. And again, I know for veterans, but you know, if you've been in any issue, right? Again, I'll go to back to single moms. If you're a single mom and you've gotten out of your tough spot, you know what single mom in that tough spot's thinking, feeling, because you've been there, right? So you get it. I want people who've been there who know what's going on to help those who are there now. And to, to Patty's point now, right? If you can be helped first, 
now you can be the helper, right? If you can get help so you can get better, now you can be the helper. In fact, you're going to be a better helper because you've been there before. Perfect. I think that's a great way to finish the show today then, Larry, you know, so really appreciate you coming on the show today. I think for all the viewers out there, if you're living in New York, write in Larry Sharp, you know, they're basically, yes. they're, they're not putting him on the ballot, even though he was in the ballot before, you know, change yep. of rules. So yeah, yep. write in Larry Sharp, keep going with that. Is there anything else you want to finish with, Larry? LarrySharp.com. Larry Sharp on all of the interweb things from YouTube to Twitter to TikTok to Facebook to all the things. Larry Sharp and that's Sharp with an E at the end. And the E stands for electable. Electable. I like that. So, well, thanks again, Larry. I really appreciate it. Thanks for everyone being involved in the show today. You've been watching Boom It's on the Blockchain. My name's Alistair Kaithness. Have a nice day.